Welcome to Cypherspeak, Artifacts, Ciphers, and Podities. Welcome to our Cypher stand-up compilation. We're going to have some very good comedians here for you, uh, pulling jokes and script lines out of their butts. So buckle up, <laughs> audience, and try not to stay in the first two rows because we do spit. <laughs> <laughs> that we do. That we do. It is, uh, it is pretty rough. If you're in the first couple of rows, you should have brought a poncho. <laughs> Uh, I am here with the wonderful Darcy, who is a medium prep panster who crosses her fingers and hopes. <laughs> I meant for that to say panster, but I did misspell it. So we're going to roll with that. <laughs> and I'm here with my co host. I didn't know what. <laughs> I, didn't, I had no idea what that word was. And I'm just like, oh, I'm just reading it. I read the words in front of me. I deeply appreciate that you trusted me so much that you assumed that my mistake was clever and some had purpose behind it or any meaning at all <laughs> and my co-host is troy a low prep director who goes easy on his players and this is cypher speak <laughs> it's gonna be a thing mm -hmm. uh hey uh welcome today our topic uh comes to us from our friends at the quest friends podcast uh they asked our thoughts about mis mixing improv and traditional story elements together in a game. Uh, you know, and to borrow uh, a shtick from our panda friends, we should do a few definitions. Absolutely. So when, we, when we're talking about traditional story elements, we're going to be referring to some of the traditional game and the literary structures. You know, sometimes when we describe role-playing games, it's collaborative storytelling with a friend and you know when you tell stories there are all there, there's all this craft and history and uh, mechanics and, and trappings that come along with uh, the whole big world of storytelling so what of that can we grab from traditional storytelling like writing a book uh, designing a video game um, which generally isn't as interactive and what can we take and how can we mesh that with the collaborative nature of role-playing games so when we're talking about the, these story elements, we're talking about the three-act structure. Uh, we can talk about campaign and character arcs, sort of uh, how do these individual scenes fit together to tell a more cohesive arc of a story, things like that. When we're talking about improv, you know, we're really leaning into that collaborative element at play, right? So how do you react to what your players give you, which you couldn't have prepped for, right? You have to, you have to have this reactive, creative, um, element going on in any kind of role-playing game. Uh, but also, you know, the players went left when you only planned for right. How do you not just react to, uh, specific content the players gave you, but a whole new direction and pull something forth or an NPC you never could have thought of? How do you, uh, pull that forth and still keep it enmeshed with your, the story elements you're trying to keep going, which might include things like theme too, right? If, if what comes to mind is a really comedic character, how do you change that or make it work within your very serious gothic horror story that you're telling? So does that sound about right, uh, Troy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that is in kind of basic terms what what we kind of want to work work within. So how do you take how do you take the story elements and, you know, have some improv within that. So mm -hmm. that that's what we're going to talk about today. So the first thing that we kind of want to talk about is keeping your story elements flexible. Uh, some people might call this Schrodinger's story element. Uh, you know, the things that are going to happen 
regardless of choice, right. if you want to look at it that way. So, so Darcy, how do you, what are some things that you do in regards to this? Yeah, I've heard this described as th- this kind of uh, enmeshes with the, the debate in role playing about, you know, don't railroad your players. So uh, mm-hmm. where the players feel like this is when, this is a, a critique when people are leaning too much into the traditional story nature of storytelling, which is uh, I, I, the GM, have a uh, plot trails for you to follow. And if, and there's no, there's nothing for you if you deviate off that path or you don't have the option to deviate off that path. And so you get, you lose that interactivity and that choice. So there's that, that railroad thing. And then there's like sandbox, right? Where it's a whole, whole open world for you to go around and explore. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking in broad, broad generalities, right? So uh, lots of sandbox mm-hmm. games can still have really great character and story arcs, but you know, there are, there are no, there are no breadcrumbs for you to follow. You are kind of crafting the story by virtue of you spidering out in different directions and, uh, things happening and you piecing it together. Um, so there's those two sides of the spectrum, but I've also heard about, don't think about it as a railroad, think about it as a roller coaster, right? sometimes following that trail, especially for the kind of game you, you have is actually what the players want to do. You know, some players want that, I want to play out a a story as opposed to I want to build my own story. So I just wanted to start with that because like I think knowing where you and your players want to fit on that spectrum is really important. But what I do because like you know for prep, right? I I do a little more, certainly more prep than than Troy does, right? I <laughs> you know, I sometimes I want to have especially if I'm in a particular setting, I want to take a little time to like think about some people or places or things that are going to come up and how I'm going to describe them and make them really good and like key into the characters or stuff they've already given me. Right. Like I want to, I want to take whatever points of interest the players have and I want to build things that reflect that. So I will prep like a cool NPC that has a weird background connection to one of the player characters, or I'll prep a weird bar where there's an octopus bartender and he's draping from the ceiling and mixing four cocktails at once, right? And so I'll have these these little ideas, uh, which usually come to me uh, when I was in my PhD classes, I would just be bored out of my mind in some class. And so I'd just be scribbling <laughs> weird ideas for Numenera <laughs> off to the side. So that's how I did it a lot. Um, but then, you know, I wouldn't really plan for where this would come up. It would just be, they'd be these isolated modules of a person, place, thing, hook, whatever. And wherever the players went, uh, they would go to a new place and I'd be like, oh, here's a great place to slot in that module. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's, I think the biggest kind of thing when you try to mesh these things together, the, the way that I kind of look at it is, you know, let's say that you're, one of your characters has a, a character arc and part of that character arc is they are looking for um, the person who killed their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if they've come up with this arc and, and in some games, notably Invisible Sun, right? Character arcs are a very mechanical part of the game, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like that having that thing that you are driving towards you know, is is mechanized. It's something that the players have selected for a reason and want to do. And I think that, you know, they say, okay, yep, this, I'm looking for this person who killed my my family. And maybe you come up with, you know, okay, this is, you know, Janice Blackman, you know, the crazy killer is who killed your family or whatever. <laughs> and uh, 
then you might come up and say, okay, you know, like this is kind of where this person is going to be. This is where the characters are heading. Then they deviate from that path. And you're like, well, now what? Right. You know, does that, does that person just sit there waiting for them to maybe come back? Mm -hmm. And if they don't do, does the character never discover Janice? Mm -hmm. Or does Janice go to a new place so that it's in that character's path so that they can encounter her? You know, so that's kind of what I look at is, you know, the, the PCs or the players, you know, they've, they've got this story in mind. And I look at it as building, I guess, and this is kind of what Darcy was talking about. You know, you build some NPCs or you build maybe an encounter or something that is what I would call like a framework, right? It can kind of fit in a lot of places and you're just waiting for the right place to fit it in. Whereas if you have you know, this very specific thing and this bar will only work in the port city on, you know, the southwest shore of Numenera because, you know, whatever reason, right? Like you've tied it so tightly into the geography and stuff and your characters decide not to go there. Well, now, you know, you've kind of sunk that cost where, if you say, okay, I can respond to where they go and have this really cool octopus bartender, you know, encounter them, that'll be fun. So, I mean, I, I think that that's kind of, you know, what we're getting at is that you have this story in mind, you know, whether it's a character arc or um, a campaign story kind of going along, and you can move the players in that direction, but when they improv and do something you kind of have to you know react to that but you can still kind of have the the really important beats and pieces of your story to get them back on track yeah um one thing i wanted to say too is that writers talk a lot you know I've, i've actually been listening to a little bit of the podcast writing excuses because i think lots of writing advice is is you know is world building advice is all all sorts of things that can help us as uh, game masters and players and these, this collaborative storytelling, we can learn a lot from traditional writing advice. And one of the things I hear people talk about is whether they map out a story before they ever sit down and actually write the the paragraphs and the chapters, uh, <laughs> whether they're a, I forget, Shauna has, Shauna Germain has some terms for these. Um, yeah. Whether they're a planner or whatever, uh, or if they're a pantser. Yeah, are you... They fly yeah, by the seat of their pants and they are sort right. of writing to find out, just like mm-hmm. uh, Apocalypse World has this phrase, play to find out. Um, so I think I tend to, like when I start a campaign, I have a vague idea of like what what the starting energy is going to be like, what the problem is that the players have to like go out and do stuff about what's keeping the players together, right? That's, that's something I need to nail down. But like the overall story, I feel like I'm discovering as much as I go along. Um, so I think when we talk about, you know, having your, your framework and having your, what your planned elements are, I think it's okay if like you don't actually know the story until you're in it. And then I think later on, as if you're trying to wrap up a story, I think you need to know the story (laughs) as you're trying to wrap up a lot, a lot more concretely. Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, one of the reasons that, uh, quest friends kind of asked this question to, put a little more context around it is, you know, they have a podcast that they want to be, you know, in somewhat the format of an audio drama, right? And then 
they have people who are players and they improv, you know, like any players generally do to some degree, you know, so how do you, you know, still tell a story, mm. but without it being a play, right? With it being, you know, a group of people sitting around the table. And I think that that's kind of an important, you know, thing is that, you know, nobody's forcing you to not improv or to improv. But if you are kind of allowing that story to improv, I think you have to have a good feel for, okay, the the players are at a loss, right? Like I need to inject the next beat of the story at them, you know, or I need to get them moving in another direction, or I need to sometimes get them moving towards the end, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, like you, you experience that sometimes in like a one shot, you know, your players are just having fun in whatever sandbox or environment you've created, but they're not necessarily driving towards the end of the story. Mm -hmm. So I think we're about to dive into what Cypher does to facilitate this and then also some like problem points and how mm -hmm. some solutions fix them. So uh, why don't we dive into that? Because I think I think there are lots of great techniques to help smooth things along depending on the needs of your game and what you're shooting for for sure uh so you know i think that and again for those of you who have listened to you know a bunch of our episodes there won't won't necessarily be a lot of new things here you know a lot of the things that i think facilitate this are the things that darcy and i both love about cypher um you know the first for me is not having a lot of mechanical overhead you know, so you are able to focus on responding to the players and you can easily respond to what they're trying to do without having to, you know, get really complex. You know, there's other games that do this really well. Apocalypse World is another one that comes to mind, you know, that that is really easy to respond to what your players are, are doing. Mm hmm so, and again, in that same vein, you know, it's it's really easy to whip up mechanics on the fly and just say, oh, they want to break into the palace. I thought that they would just talk to the king in the morning. Um, right. <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden I need some guards and, you know, how sturdy is that door and stuff. And, you know, it's just a bunch of levels and it's, you know, the more you do it, the more you get a feel for kind of like what those kind of things are, um, you know, that, that you feel is appropriate for, for your play group. So, you know, when your player, and, and again, right, the, the interesting part there is that in that story, right, the story is they are trying to meet the king and your assumption maybe going in is that they were going to try to fast talk their way past the, um, what's that guy that announces people to the king, uh, major domo, kind of guy <laughs> the hype man <laughs> i believe it's called uh that's what you need darcy you need a hype man you <laughs> somebody to just announce you wherever you go <laughs> now showing darcy <laughs> Rock! the crowd goes wild <laughs> but yeah so you didn't know that this was going to be a wrestling show uh and neither did we on cypher speak so but yeah i i think you're right um the the low cost of having to pull the mechanics into uh something you need story-wise is definitely helpful in cypher 
Yeah, absolutely. So what about you, Darcy? What do, what do you think Cypher does to kind of facilitate this kind of uh, play? Let's see. To facilitate this kind of play, I think there's a lot of ways to take that. But um, one of the things that we talk about a lot that I think is, is really, really helpful is, of course, GM intrusions, right? When things do go wrong or when you do need to bring someone's attention to, you know, it's it's kind of a hard move, like in Apocalypse World. It is a, it is a like you you can spend xp to not deal with this but usually they don't but it is a i am kind of it's an aggressive move on the gm's part to gm intrude mm-hmm. whether yeah. it's bad or good or whatever um and so i think that can when you need those harder nudges uh a, a gm like the players have buy in when there's a gm intrusion right they're like okay we are deciding to go with this narrative element we are we are being forced to deal with it so um that can definitely be helpful. I think the fact that, you know, 19s and 20s are often, you know, encouraged inputs from your players can, you know, we haven't even talked about how some people who may not, like, if you're trying to get more improv in your storytelling, how do you do that? I think 19s and 20s and a lot of the cipher systems encouragement and open-ended abilities are a little bit like they give a lot of room for player input. And so I think those bounded opportunities for improv can be really good for new players. Yeah. I think like, you know, I almost, you could almost look at the XP reroll mechanic and uh, XP refusal of jam intrusions as a bit of a negotiation mechanic too, right? Like a lot of what's happening uh, I, I keep getting almost into the problem section, right? Like how to, how to fix something that's gone a little <laughs> off. Um, but it's like when you're rolling dice, the dice can start telling a story that doesn't really work with what, what you meant to, to be telling, right? It might be t- starting to tell a tragedy instead of the fun action packed thing that you wanted it to tell. Right. And so when the dice are starting to pull away from the kind of experience you wanted to have re-rolls are a really great way to say no nah, this is like my big damn hero moment right uh re-roll that and that's on the player's side or the gm can of course like reinterpret things a lot of ways right like there can be success but is, is a lot of things that that can happen so i think the flexibility in like calling the shots and understanding what a role means and negotiating that role in a lot of ways also facilitates like the randomness in the game toward uh, the kind of arcs you actually want to have. Does that make any sense? No, I think, I think it does. You know, I mean, I think that you, you want to influence, yeah, you use your tools to influence the, the way that you want the game to go. Right. You know, so if, if it's ready for the characters to have their, their big damn hero moment, like you said, you know, give them some, tools to to get there um you know whether that's in the form of assets or experience for re-rolls or what have you mm-hmm. um something interesting so i it's actually my potty for this week mm. um so i'll talk about it a little bit more Spoilers. down there but uh <laughs> listening to uh brandon leon gambetta I believe I said that right um on protean city comics which is a masks uh actual play which is an apocalypse world engine game it's great it is very good um i love it something interesting that i noticed uh i think that i was thinking about this in terms of you know learning how to run and participate in apocalypse world and i realized that i think something that translates to cypher is he is constantly to his players 
presenting a situation and saying, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Um, He says that all the time. And I think that that is what you should be thinking about or could be thinking about every time you give a GM intrusion. Yeah. Like when you do a GM intrusion, do your GM intrusion and end it with, what do you do? (laughs) The ball is back in your court players. Right. Yes. I think that that's really interesting. So just kind of something that I've been, I've been thinking about as I've been listening to, to that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so we've talked about, you know, kind of some of the big points for Cypher. And Cypher, as we've mentioned, right, is no by no means the only game that facilitates this type of play. Um, there are tons of other games out there that will facilitate it in different ways and, you know, either more more loosely or more not, you know, I mean... I think we've talked about it before that, you know, for James D'Amato, uh, Numenera is a super crunchy game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and for others coming from maybe a more uh, traditional Pathfinder D&D background, it's a lighter game, mm-hmm. you know, from a rules perspective. So it kind of all depends on what end of the spectrum you're you're coming from. It's, it's not that Cypher is the only thing that can solve this problem for sure. So, so Darcy, you kind of were ready to get into some of the problems and some of the things you have to watch out for. Yeah. Uh, where do you want to take us there? I, I want to focus on solutions. So you mean, you mean that there are opportunities, 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 right? Exactly. Uh, so one thing I think that can really, really help fine tune your and match up your storytelling with the improv you and the players are going to be giving out and make those uh, enmesh better is a session zero, uh, which is a term used for a meeting of the players and the GM before uh, actual gameplay ever starts, possibly before character creation or maybe during character creation, but a really like as as early as you've decided you're going to run, you're going to play some game together. Let's talk about... what we want to see in it, what kind of tone we're going for so that people make characters, you know, that actually fit that that shared agreement to play a some kind of horror game where we're all going to die in the end or uh, a, a romance uh, historical period piece about trying to marry the right other person, right? So, like, a session zero is a great opportunity to talk about... Um, your, your tones and the, the bounds of the game. And that can help people not improv off that like expectation. Right. And I, I wonder even, I've never really done this because I've been playing with, um, whenever I run a campaign, it's usually with people I kind of know, but I wonder if fitting a little conversation about improv and about expectations for who's narrative controlling when, if that a conversation during a session zero might help. I'm not sure exactly how I would structure that, but like I would certainly say to my players, right? Like don't try to guess what I'm doing as a GM and try to help that. I've, I've had players try to like be a helpful <laughs> co-GM because they totally know what I'm doing and they're going to get the party there. And I'm like, no, you don't know what I'm doing because I don't know what I'm doing. All you're doing is shoehorning everyone else into something that I didn't plan for and didn't necessarily want. So like, my style, like, you know, uh, that's just my style of jamming, right? It's like, especially early on, trust that wherever you go, there will be story. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so that's, that's sort of, you know, I really ask my players to, to improv. Um, and uh, especially if we like kind of know your improv is going to 
facilitate and support this gothic horror game we're playing or whatever. So I think a session zero can be really helpful. Yeah, I think that uh, the only note I'll add to session zero is, you know, if you are playing with the same group and and have been for a long time, uh, I think that a two things. One is if you're between campaigns, don't skip the session zero when you go into a new one, uh, you know, because your new campaign may have a different tone or there might be new things about the system if you're switching systems or, uh, you know, you could be still playing Pathfinder, but you could be switching from, you know, something that's more adventure to more horror. Oh, yeah. And I think that you need to get buy-in from your players and from everyone that that's kind of the game that they all are expecting and that they want to play. Um, and then the other thing is if you're running a particularly long campaign, like, you know, that stretches over a couple of years, don't feel like you can't have a session, you know, <laughs> point zero in the middle, Ooh. you know, to reset expectations and to say like, hey, you know, I just want to check in. What's everybody feel like? These are some things that, you know, maybe I want to take the same campaign, same characters, but, you know, we're going to we're going to go in a different direction a little bit, right? Cool. Like, you know, because there, there's books and stuff out there that, you know, it's like an action adventure romp for the first half. And then all of a sudden, you know, something happens and it gets really dark and spooky, Yeah, you know, or whatever, you know? So like, if you're going to do something that's going to kind of like change the contract, maybe that you originally developed, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a whole session, but take the time to, you know, take a half a session or whatever and say, hey, is everybody cool with this and the new expectations? Yeah, that's really neat. Um, Someday we should have a whole conversation about wrapping up campaigns because I think, (laughs) you know, all this stuff can happen, all this improv and fun romp ridiculousness can happen as you go. But if you want the campaign to come to like a satisfying conclusion, Mm -hmm. you have to tie those threads together and that you have to figure out a way that all the improv problems that you built for yourself now have to be (laughs) stitched together into this cohesive whole. So I think uh, what I would do, what I did at the end of my first campaign, which was Kojiam, just like, you know, there were, there were character arcs that the players wanted me to, to know the answer to and to help resolve, right? They didn't, like, they didn't want to know oh, this is how my character will end up. They wanted that to be a question to be found out through play and they wanted me to make some decisions about that. And so like I had some meetings with with one-on-ones where I was like, hey, I kind of see, you know, what's really important for your character to show up at the end here. Like what what kinds of things do you need to feel satisfied about this arc? And then like, and how much do you want me to to dictate versus let you say? And so like I just, I just had those meetings one-on-one, which is really helpful for like helping me figure out what I should make hard decisions on. Darcy, were were you doing development mode before it was a thing? Basically. Did, did Monty steal it from you? Did, no, I wish. I wish. <laughs> but yeah, we would get like caught, you know, man, if development mode was a thing back then, I would have been using that so hard. Sure. Ugh, so good. So if you do this long enough, you are going to get to an end of a campaign and you're going to end it and it's going to be fun and everybody's going to be like, yay, it was fun. We had a good time. And about 10 minutes later, as you're maybe sitting around basking in the afterglow, somebody is going to be like, hey, what about Rufus? You remember yeah. that guy that you know we met and had the crystal thing and then we never went back there? Yeah. Didn't he say that was going to like end the world? 
Oh man. <laughs> I I mean it's it's going to happen and to some degree unless you want to write a book for your players to follow you just have to be okay that there's going to be some continuity errors when you get to the end. <laughs> it's very true. Uh yeah, so what other things are you thinking about, Trey, for um, maybe some guidelines for people or suggestions or um, dangerous pitfalls? Um, so, I mean, I think one thing that you can do is, you know, look at like how you know, how to rein in the flexibility, mm-hmm. right? You know, we talk about a lot about, you know, getting them to improv or reacting to their improv. But if you have players who want to improv, try to channel or funnel that improv into where you want it. Mm -hmm. One thing, you know, that we talked about is sourcing the table, right? So allow them to improv interesting things about their surroundings. Um, You know, I, I'm running uh, the Dracula dossier and my players were meeting in a bar. Uh, They were meeting a contact and I said, okay, uh, describe the bar. And they described it as, you know, like red lighting and black velvet cushions and stuff like this, which is completely not what I would have envisioned Mm -hmm. as this bar. And it kind of became this interesting, like, you know, did this used to be like, you know, a BDSM parlor or something and (laughs) is now just repurposed into a pub. Um, And and so like, you know, you get this picture, right, of this dim red light and, you know, these these funky seats and stuff. And and that's fun, right? I mean, the characters feel like they're injecting into the story and it becomes a little more memorable. But ultimately from where you want your story to go, right, where what you want that contact to give to your players it doesn't affect that, mm-hmm. right? You're still able to give them the next beat of the story or of the arc to move forward. So maybe it's what somebody looks like or, you know, whatever. So it can be their physical appearance or the location or a mannerism, you know, mm-hmm. like and then, you know, as the GM, if you like to, you can play up some of those mannerisms if they're applicable. That stuff that lets the players have input into the game it can be kind of a a funnel for their improv. Uh, The one pitfall I would list here is that it tips your hand, right? If you say, hey, what does their appearance look like? It means that it can tell the players, hey, it doesn't doesn't matter what this person's appearance Mm -hmm. looks like. And so Mm -hmm. like, if you want to keep them guessing about what, you know, uh, like what this place looks like or, hey, you come upon a person, who are they? That's fine, but they they kind of can infer, oh, this this must not matter a lot. Or like, you know, they can, especially if you're playing some kind of mystery or horror mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. that tells them like, oh, this is a safe place to improv and it doesn't, it can't be that important to our big plot or a big threat, which might be wrong, but that, that can lead to that, I think. Right, and yeah, and, and if you do see, I think absolutely the combat to that is if you feel them starting to fall into that is to make something that they improv important. Yep. Yep. Just weave it (laughs) into something you're something important. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Um, you know, the other, only other thing I'll talk about is, you know, one shots versus campaigns. Mm. You know, we talked about, you know, how when you introduce something interesting or crazy or whatever in a campaign, 
And then that thread never gets picked up and you get to the end and you realize that you never did that thing. So, you know, improv and dealing with all the threads that come up in a campaign can be a little more difficult because you have so much stuff going on and, and so many threads often to keep track of. Mm. Um, Boy, do I feel that. <laughs> yeah. And, and so sometimes you, you either A, you know, have to rein in the improv or B, like I said, be okay with some continuity errors mm-hmm. when you get to the end. Um, whereas in a one shot, uh, you know, Anything goes. You kinda, it, it's as much crazy as you can handle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if you, you have a game that's just going off the rails and is going nowhere near the story that you were planning to tell, uh, you know, you just do your best to ride it out and have four hours of fun. And, you know, when you're done, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and hopefully you were able to weave it into some sort of, you know, satisfying conclusion. Uh, so, uh, you know, cause people very rarely look back at the end of a one shot and say, oh, there's these things that came up that we didn't, you know, that we never got back to. It's more like, oh, we got to the end. We had a great time for however long and, you know, you move on. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, I think that's about all I have. What do you, do you have anything else, Darcy? Um, I, I think you had mentioned something we've touched on that I, I just wanted to briefly say, which is about, uh, you know, choosing the right level of improv versus control by the GM. Um, and Troy, you've talked about how like, you know, you've been running Dracula dossier, how like mystery and horror, um, part of getting that feeling across is that there is a loss of control. And so that, uh, that's just something to be aware of, I think. And I think that could probably even be a whole podcast itself is how to, how to work with that control, um, and get those tones across. Yeah, and I think actually that that is a good point about mysteries is something you said earlier where, you know, you kind of start with a general starting in mind and kind of play to find out Mm -hmm. the story. With a mystery, that's harder, Much right? You need to have like at least the spine of your mystery defined, I think, you know, like you as the GM should know who did it, right? Right, or you're going to have to have some master level weaving random improv mm-hmm. stuff together in a way that makes any sense at all, right? Because the players want to have the right. sense that they can discover something. Yes, um, even absolutely. if they are improving a lot of it as they go, if you want mm-hmm. that element of, I have, dis- I have, there, there is a way, you know, sometimes I read a book and I'm like, there's no way I could have known that, you know, 40 pages <laughs> ago. And I'm like, okay, fine. Right. Like the, the answer was in clues I didn't have. And that's kind of a dissatisfying feeling in a mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. But yeah. Cool. Hopefully this has been helpful. Uh, it's just some musings on improv and story structure. I think there's lots more to be said about it. So I hope that people will reach out to us with some of their ideas and their best tricks. Um, yeah, by, by Twitter and things. Absolutely. So moving on to our podities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I previously spoiled mine. Uh, but uh, Protean City Comics is a masks actual play uh, run by Brandon Leon Gambetta as part of the Stop, Hack, and Roll podcast network. Um, I'll have a link in the show notes, uh, but it is a really fun time if you enjoy superheroes or masks or Apocalypse World or angsty teenagers. Um, you know, all of that is in there to some degree. Uh, yep. So it's it's really fun. Uh, like I said, I'm kind of learning a lot about running and GMing Apocalypse World. So if any of those things interest you, definitely check them out. 
Excellent. I would also suggest uh, for my podity, The Secret Seller, a podcast that our own Casey Ross has betrayed us to go edit and do <laughs> lots of cool sound design for. Um, yeah, so the podcast is The Secret Seller. It's by uh, Jason Robinson. And uh, you can find it if you Google uh, or look in your podcatcher for The Secret Seller. But it is a super neat podcast kind of about storytelling. Um and uh, a whole bunch of t- good topics, but its premise, its sort of like fictional setting is that it is a a shadow-themed cellar bar underneath zeros in Saturn. So it's an invisible sun reference. And so it's the idea that there's all this magic up top and shadow, the shadow world, which is what we live in. Um, like this is a place where people go to like pretend they're living in shadow again. And so it's like no magic. It's very just kitschy and and themed like funny shadow things and it's super cool and I just adore it so definitely check that out uh the secret seller I'm really excited to hear it I hear the first podcast the first episode is amazing but I haven't heard it yet so thank you for creating that and thank you Casey for doing wonderful work on it yeah absolutely and finally, we have another podcast in the Misdirected Mark Network, Zhang Hu Hustle. Uh, train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Zhang Hu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their kung fu stronger by watching wuxia films, then discussing how to apply their observations to game design. Delightful. Yes, I think I said all of those words properly. Very nice. Yeah, that was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, hey, if you want to reach out to us, talk about anything that you heard on today's show or have any other topics you would like us to discuss, uh, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at CypherSpeakPod. And if you would like to reach us by email and give us lots of good links and good ideas uh, or feedback, please email us at cypherspeakpod at gmail.com. And you can also go to cypherspeak.com, which redirects to our lovely misdirected Mark podcast network, where you can uh, leave comments on individual episodes. You can uh, come call us out on our individual stuff and find all the other wonderful podcasts they have, like Zhang Hu Hustle, I think. (laughs) Uh, And of course, in iTunes and anywhere else, we would love it if you subscribe to our podcast so you can hear more of our uh, fun and weird ideas and discussions and uh, rate us on iTunes if you feel so moved. So Troy. It has T next to it. But it says so Troy. Yeah. Come on. Am I gonna ask myself a question? <laughs> <laughs> I think I just did. <laughs> Cypherspeak is a member of the Misdirected Mark Podcast Network, the media arm of Encoded Designs. <laughs> <laughs>